Our sermon series is growing together. Uh, It doesn't matter how old or how young you are, we're all part of the family of God. All bring bring, uh, life and energy and and, and, and value to what it means to be a part of a God. Our youngest one in the nursery, our oldest one in whatever our oldest Sunday school class is, all of us are, are important in the family of God. Last week, we looked at Paul's words in that passage in, in Galatians that said that, that there is neither Jew nor, nor Gentile. It means it doesn't matter what your nationality is in the kingdom of God, what your, what your birth certificate says, where your passport is from. None of those things uh, uh, make a difference as far as the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is bigger than any one nation of the world. The kingdom of God is, is where we are brothers and sisters. No matter if you speak the same language, if, you, if you're from a different place, whatever, we are part, we can be part of Jesus is Lord, part of the, the family of God. And that passage in Galatians chapter 3 really is Paul turning on the head some of the teachings that he had. You remember that Paul, before he became a Christian, was a Pharisee. He was a, a persecutor of the church. He was, he was going around uh, uh, grabbing Christians so they might be executed for what he believed to be blasphemy. Well, Pharisees would, would every morning, every single morning in their morning prayers, would, would pray the same prayer. And that prayer was thank you, God, that you created me human, not beast, man, not a woman, an Israelite, not a Gentile, free, not slave. And now here in this letter to the Galatians, Paul has flipped that prayer completely on its end when he said there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave or free. There is, there is neither male nor female, for they are all one, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, today we're going to focus in on that, on that phrase, there is neither slave nor free. Slavery in the first century for the Roman Empire is different from, from the American experience of slavery. Slavery wasn't based on race. Uh, it wasn't based on, on, on that. It was usually, in the first century, it was either based on, on debt. A person rang up too much debt, debt that they could not afford to repay, and so they were then forced into slavery, or it was based on military conquest. The Romans would go in, conquer a people, and some of those people, sometimes even the best and the brightest, kind of like Daniel when, when the Babylonians came in, sometimes the best and brightest were then made, made slaves. So slavery, and slavery in the first century wasn't something where there could be kind of an, uh, uh, an abolitionist movement or something like that where you could rise up and, and fight against slavery. That, that wasn't in the minds of any people in the first century. It was just the way life was. And slavery was a fact of life. And slavery, slavery they couldn't imagine a society without slaves. And so, so the New Testament, written Paul and, and, and the New Testament writers, uh, Peter as well, talked to the slaves about about uh, being respectful and, and, and being obedient. Again, they, they, many, many slaves were becoming Christians. And so these Christian communities, wherever they were, whether it was in Galatia or any place else, had no doubt slaves, just like they had free people as well that were part of it. And Paul is saying, saying our identity in Christ supersedes whether we're slave or free. He says the same thing, really, in the Corinthian letter when he says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. Paul is saying he would agree with the great 20th century uh, theologian uh, Bob Dylan. So you've got to serve somebody. 
As Paul, Bob Dylan's, uh, one of his hit songs, Grammy award-winning songs, you're going to serve somebody. The question isn't, are you going to be a slave or not? The question is, who are you going to be a slave to? Are you going to be a slave to, 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 to sin? Are you going to be a slave to all those terrible things uh, that can drag you down? Or are you going to be a slave to Jesus Christ? Paul identifies himself as a slave to Jesus. In Romans 1.1, 1, 1, when he is addressing the, the church at Rome, he refers to himself, Paul, a slave to Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1, he includes Timothy in with that. When he's writing to the Philippians, he says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, the, the question is, is not if I'm going to be a slave. The question is, who am I going to be a slave to? And for Paul, once we're Christians, once we're in this family of God, once we're now growing together in this family of God, it doesn't matter what your status is. Slave or free, it really, really doesn't matter. I guess to illustrate this point, maybe the most famous slave in the New Testament is a guy by the name of Onesimus. Now that might, name might not jump out at you at first, but Onesimus was the reason Paul wrote his letter to Philemon. And apparently, Onesimus was a slave. Philemon was, his, was, the, was the slave owner. But Philemon had, was a believer. And so Paul, writing on the behalf of Onesimus, refers to Onesimus as his beloved brother. Now, let me give you a little bit of the background. It seems that Onesimus was a slave, but a bad slave. In fact, he was a terrible slave. He, he not only took off and ran away, was a runaway slave, but before he took off, he stole something from Philemon. We don't know what he stole. He stole something. And Onesimus' plan probably was to go to Rome, get lost in the big city. Uh, no one would be the wiser that he had been a slave and just you know, pick up his life as a, as a runaway slave living in the city of Rome. What he did not uh, anticipate is that once in Rome, Onesimus met a person, not just any person, met a, met a Christian, not just any Christian, he met the Apostle Paul. And, and, and no doubt, in the midst of that, I can't imagine Paul, who had been so powerfully impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, just, I think, whenever he ran into anybody, you know, they got the story of how Jesus had transformed him and changed him and shaped him and, and how he is a new person. Well, Onesimus ran into Paul, heard that story... And probably heard something along the lines of Onesimus. This, before I was a Christian, I was a persecutor of the church. I, I would hunt down Christians. In fact, it was, it was because of an encounter that I had with Jesus Christ. I thought Jesus was dead. I thought that we had crucified him and someone maybe stole his body or whatever it was, but he was dead, dead, dead. And I was on my way to Damascus to round up more Christians when I had an encounter with the one I thought was dead, the resurrected Jesus. I had a face-to-face encounter. It's hard to deny that Jesus is alive when you meet him on the road to Damascus. And Onesimus, that changed everything in my life. I went from persecuting Christians to becoming one of them. Not just one of them. I have planted churches all over the known world. All because of my encounter with Jesus Christ. He can take anybody. He can change anybody. He can change you, Onesimus. And Onesimus must have heard that story or something similar to it. And decided that it was real. What happened to Paul was real. And he decided he wanted to become a believer too. And so he did, and and somewhere along the line, I'm not sure when, somewhere along the line, Onesimus had enough courage to tell Paul his whole story. Paul, I'm not just uh, 
I'm not just a person who's helping you out in Rome. The fact of the matter is, I'm a, I'm, I'm a runaway slave. Not only am I a runaway slave, but I stole from my, my owner before I took off. And that was, that, in the first century, that would have been a capital offense. Didn't matter what you, you stole. If you were a slave and you stole from the owner, then, you know, you were, you, you were not worth anything. You were, you, were, you were good as dead. He said, and so I just want you to know that that's my story. I, I, stole, I stole from my owner and I ran away and now I'm in Rome. I really don't know what to do, Paul. He said, my owner is a guy named Philemon. And when he said that, I don't, the Bible doesn't say that this is what Paul did, but this is what I think Paul did. And Paul, this is the Rob Prince version of what Paul did. Onesimus says, you know, my, my owner is a guy named Philemon. And Paul says, starts to sing, maybe hum a little song. You know, it's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small Onesimus, your owner is Philemon? Yeah, Philemon. Philemon is his name. I know Philemon. How many Philemons can there be? I know Philemon. I led Philemon to the Lord. Philemon is a believer. I know Philemon. You know Philemon? I know Philemon. I'll write a letter on your behalf and you can take it to Philemon. You want me to go to Philemon? Yeah, I'll write a letter on your behalf. You take it to Philemon. It'll explain everything. And so to make a long story short, that's exactly what happened. Paul writes a letter, that letter that's in your New Testament, the letter called Philemon, and it's Onesimus returning back to Philemon with this word from Paul. And, and Paul tells him a very interesting thing, a thing that I think is important for us to get as we're talking about neither slave nor free. Again, remember, Philemon has every right, according to Roman law, to put Onesimus to death. Philemon, even at best, he has every right to be really mad at Onesimus. But Paul is going to be writing Philemon and saying, this Onesimus that's returning to you is not the same Onesimus that ran away from you. For this Onesimus, when he was in Rome, we had a conversation and I talked to him and, and, and I told him about Jesus. And now this Onesimus who's returning to you is not the same as the one who left you. He's, he's a fellow believer. There's neither, there's neither slave nor free. He's a fellow believer, Philemon. This isn't the same guy, much like the story that Andy told. He's a very different person than the now than he, what he was 27 years ago, 28 years ago, entering into prison. It's a different person. Looks the same. Talks the same. Different person. And Paul says this. This is what I want you to get. He says, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. Paul is saying, listen, because of my authority as an apostle, I could tell you exactly what you need to do. I, I, sh- I could tell you exactly how you need to, to treat Onesimus. But I'm not doing it on that. I'm not shoving this down your throat. I'm not strong-arming you, Philemon. What I want you to do is based on love because you recognize that Onesimus is a brother in Christ. And so what I'm, what I'm asking you to do, take him back in is, is because he's a brother. He's... he's He's no, longer, he's no longer a slave in, the, in, the, in the, his, his, his life. He may be a slave, but he's not a slave to the sins and a slave to his past. He's saying right now, Onesimus is more free than he's ever been before because he's a follower of Jesus, just like you. He's saying, Philemon, just like you, you have a past, just like you. You've done things that you shouldn't have done, just like you. You were, you were, were, were once a slave to sin, 
But Onesimus now, he's a, he's a fellow brother. He's, he's one of us. He's, he's a believer. Maybe the best way for me to explain this is to tell you a story, not my story, it's John Ortberg's story. And I can't tell it as good as he could tell it, and so I'm going to read it. It's about when he and his wife were very first married, and the story goes like this. It says, he and his wife had traded in a, a Volkswagen Super Beetle, so you can tell how old this is, for their first piece of new furniture. It was a mauve sofa. And he writes this, the man at the furniture store warned us not to get it when he found out we had small children. You don't want a mauve sofa, he advised. Uh, get something the color of dirt. But with naive optimism and of young parenthood, we said, we know how to handle our children. Give us the mauve sofa. From that moment on, everyone knew the number one rule in our house, don't sit on the mauve sofa. Don't touch the mauve sofa. Don't play around the mauve sofa. Don't eat on, breathe on, look at, or even think about the mauve sofa. It was like the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden. Eden. On every chair in the house, you may freely sit. But upon this sofa, the mauve sofa, you may not sit. For in the day you sitteth thereupon, you shall surely die. (laughs) Then came the fall. One day, there appeared on the mauve sofa a stain. A red stain. A red jelly stain. So my wife, who had chosen the mauve sofa and adored it, lined up our three children in front of it. Laura, age four, Mallory, age two and a half, and Johnny, six months. (laughs) Do you see that? Do you see that, children? She asked. That's a stain, a red jelly stain. The man at the sofa store says it's not coming out, not now, not forever. Do you know how long forever is, children? That's how long we're going to stand here until one of you tells me who put that stain on this mauve sofa. (laughs) Mallory was the first to break. With trembling lips and tear-filled eyes, she said, Laura did it. (laughs) Laura passionately denied it. There was silence for the longest time. No one said a word. I knew they wouldn't, for they hadn't seen their mother so upset. I knew they wouldn't because they knew if they did, they would spend eternity in the timeout chair. I knew they wouldn't because I was the one that put the red jelly stain on the sofa. (laughs) And I wasn't saying anything. (laughs) I remind us of that story to say, that's us. We've all been that sofa with a stain on us. Some some of those stains have been so deep in our fabric that it seems like they cannot come out. And the goal, the goal, the goal is going to Jesus Christ, the one who can remove every blot, every stain. It's going to him and, and, and giving him our life. Jesus doesn't want us to, to force, he doesn't force us into obedience. He doesn't force us into, into doing what we need to do. Kind of like Philemon, or Paul's words to Philemon, I do this on the basis of love. You need to accept him. Jesus doesn't force us to follow him. It's not, he's God Almighty. He could make us, you will follow me, but he doesn't do it that way. No, he wants us to freely confess out of our heart. To, 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 to go before him. See, I think the deepest transformation isn't simply a transformation of your mind. It's a transformation, uh, it's more, not intellectual, more emotional. It's a transformation of the heart. And we get to the point where we say, Lord, I need you. And the, and the, and the point is through all of this, Fleeman, 
Onesimus, Paul, you, me, we've all sinned. We, 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 we've all, we all have a background. We all have a stain. All of us, every, not all the same. Not all the same. Andy was in prison for 27 years. We, we may not have been in prison. We may not, that may not be our, our, our trouble. But all of us, all of us, all of us have fallen short. All of us have sinned and come, come short of the glory of God. All of us are in the same boat. Maybe rather I should say all of us are in the sinking ship. And God doesn't force us to come to him. He doesn't force us to confess to him. We, he doesn't force us to admit our wrongs. He longs for us to freely go to him. And the Bible tells us, we, we who've been following Jesus for a while, we, we know the truth of what John, the apostle John said in one of his letters. He said, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us, cleanses us removes all sin, all stains. And we can experience the love, the grace, the, the glory, the wonder, the, the joy of serving Jesus. We don't have to live in the shadows, but we can come out and recognize that, that we are, are, are part of this family of God. And all it takes is our, our confession. All it takes is us coming to the Lord freely and saying, Lord, I need, I've made a mess I've broken, I've, been, I've made a mess, I've broken everything that, that, that I know I should be doing and I find myself doing those things that I don't want to be doing and I need you. So often folks are so hesitant to con- make such a confession, confession and that's been since the beginning of time is in the Garden of Eden. It's Eve's fault, it's Adam's fault, it's the serpent's fault, it's not my fault. But when we confess, John tells us, when we go to him, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us all of our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness, remove all those stains. And we who are believers, we know that. Some of you, 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 you asked Jesus into your heart years, years, maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago. For others, maybe it's fresh. So for others, maybe you have yet to make that, 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 that step of faith. But the truth of the matter is, all of us, all of us, before we met Jesus, were slaves to our sin. All of us were slaves to those fears and slaves to our past and slaves to our mistakes. And Paul says that once you become a Christian, you now become a slave to Jesus. And the choice is up to you. You can, you can choose to, 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 to do things your own way. You can choose to kind of muddle around. You can choose to, to well, that's the way, way John says it. We're walking, either walking in the light or walking in the darkness. Who wants to walk in the darkness when in the darkness, you know, you run into things, you stub your toe, it hurts, it's bad. You know, walking in the light as he is in the light. Being enslaved to the one that can rescue us from all of those troubles and problems. And so, back to being slave or free, Paul is saying, listen, when we are believers, it doesn't matter what your past is. You, 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 you could spend 27 years in prison and go in and out at 44 but if Jesus is your Lord that makes all the difference we're now brothers doesn't matter if you're slave or free if Jesus is your Lord we're brothers and sisters let, 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 me, let me approach it this way I read a story this week I think it took place uh, long ago or at least not, not recent recent um, it's about a boy down in southern Florida who they had a, a swimming hole, swimming pond behind their house. And, 
and he got home from school and, you know, it was a hot floor today, and so he took off for the pond. And on his way, he's kicking off his shoes, and he's taking off his shirt. He's just going to dive right into that pond. His mom was in the kitchen. She was doing something, and she saw him tearing off for the pond. But, but she also saw, as soon as he dove in, she also saw that there was an alligator in the pond. And the alligator was making a, a beeline for her son, who just drove, dove in. So she took off, as you would expect. And she took off screaming and hollering to turn around. There's an alligator in the pond. Turn around. There's an alligator in the pond. And the kid heard his mom. And so he, he made a U-turn, started headed back to shore. And she was running to the dock. And the boy was swimming toward the dock, but so was the alligator. And they all got there about the same time. The alligator grabbed a hold of the kid. And the mom grabbed a hold of the kid. And they were in this tug of war. She was screaming for someone to call 911. A neighbor heard and ran over there, called 911, but ran over with his gun and shot the alligator. The boy spent several weeks in, in the hospital. And somehow a reporter, his legs were spared, and, and, but he had deep scars and all the rest. A reporter heard about that, went to the hospital, and talked to the little boy and said, I understand that there's kind of a tug of war between your mom and an alligator. And the, and the kid said, yeah, 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 that's exactly what happened. And the, and the reporter asked if he could show him his scars. And so the boy lifted up his pants. And sure enough, there were deep scars where the alligator had grabbed his legs. But then that boy, with a sense of pride, said, but those aren't the only scars I have. And he took off his shirt and he showed it in his arms. He said, those, those scars on my arm, those are from my mom who grabbed a hold of me and wouldn't let me go. You see, my brothers and sisters, when we're, when we're believers of Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean we don't have scars. We may have scars. We may have scars from our sinful past and the mistakes we've made and all the junk and all the garbage. But, but we have a God that refuses to let us go. And he holds on to us and he grabs us. And when we, when, we, when we are free from the grip of sin, when we are no longer slaves to our past and slaves to the sins and slaves to all that trouble, but now slaved with Jesus, that means that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we don't, we don't have to look around and say, say, well, you know, your past is so bad, you know, you're, you're just a mess. No, if they've accepted Jesus, then, then we're all in the same boat. Sinners saved by grace. That's who we are. That's what, that's what this family of God is all about. It's saying, saying that we are on the same team. We are here to support one another. We are here to care for one another. Slave or free, doesn't matter. We are together. I heard someone say that, that Christian, the, the Lord's army is the only army that shoots its wounded. Maybe you've heard that phrase. And how terrible that is. For, for we, we who've been saved from so much. We who have been rescued and scarred by the past should be the first, not the last, should be the first to step forward with those who are struggling. And when someone falls down, we should be the first to help them up. Why? Because we've fallen down before too. Why? Because we, we, we should know. We should know what it is to live in, in, in walking in darkness. And so when we see a fellow brother or sister struggling, when we see that life is just hammering them, that's not the time to throw stones. That's the time to lift them up, to, to cheer them on, to say, Jesus has got a better way. I saw a video this week. Maybe you've seen it. I think it went viral. It's about a kid, 
at karate lessons. And if you haven't seen it, well, watch it. Bring it hard and bring it down fast. Hard and fast. Let's go, boy. Don't fall. You gotta stay on your feet. Come on. Phoenix, go straight through. Back up. Back up. Make a fight. You said it's a good one. Now hit hard. Hit it with the heel. Hit it with the heel. Hit it with the heel. Yes, you can do it. Come on. Yes, you can do it. But you gotta do it. Look at me. You have to hit it hard, though. You cannot hit it light. You have to hit it hard. Go. you want a picture of what the church is like, what the per- church should be like, that's it. That's the picture. It's when someone is struggling, can't, think they can't do it, think they can't make it. They've had too many mistakes. They've fallen down too many times. They've had too many hurts, too many scars, too much stains. The church of Jesus Christ, when we're acting at our best, when we're growing together, when we're being the people that God wants us to be, we say, no, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Jesus can help you. You can do it. With Jesus on your side, you can, you can, you can be victorious. That's what we're saying. This growing together idea that we've been talking about these last three weeks, it's saying that we're the body of Christ. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter how old, how young. Doesn't matter what your past is. Jesus, Jesus is the one that unifies us and brings us together and makes us brothers and sisters. And as such, we need to cheer one another on. We're going to sing a, a song. It's just about, about how Jesus can make all things new. It may be that you're here today and you've never crossed that, that step of faith. You've never confessed your sins to him. You've never asked Jesus into your heart. And you're kind of just testing the waters. Today would be a great day. This could be your day to accept Jesus into your life. Become part of the family of God. And so I'd encourage you, as, there, as we're singing, you can come down here. There's nothing magical in these, these altars. It's just a good place to pray. It's just a, a good place. There's something about stepping out and saying, Lord, I want to follow you. I'm going I'm to leave my world behind, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to leave some of those sins behind, some of those troubles behind, some of the mistakes behind, the guilt behind, and I'm going to follow you. That's what you're saying. Come into my heart. Help me to live my life. And the Bible says that when you pray that prayer, Jesus is faithful and just and he'll do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the good news that our past doesn't have to to chain us, that our past doesn't have to dominate us, that our past is not the story that you want for us, but our future can be found in you. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your forgiveness. Thank you for, for what you're doing even today and even now in our lives. We give you praise. For you do make beautiful things out of dust. In Jesus' name, amen.